Hi, I'm Du Awap Frazier, and you're listening to episode 18 of Nerdacity Podcast. And my guest today is poet, visual artist, writer, author, and media professional, Keisha Gay Anderson. Keisha is based in Brooklyn, New York. She is the author of Gathering the Waters, Everything is Necessary, and A Spell for Living, which received the Editor's Choice recognition for the Numinous Orisons, Luminous Origin Literary Award, and is forthcoming from Agape Editions as a multimedia ebook, including music and Keisha's original artwork. Keisha's poetry, fiction, and essays have been widely published in national literary journals, magazines, and anthologies, which includes Quayley Literary Journal, Small Acts Salon, Interviewing the Caribbean, Renaissance Noir, The Caribbean Writer, The Killens Review of Arts and Letters, Mosaic Literary Magazine, and others. Keisha is a past participant of the Vona Voices and Callaloo Writing Workshops. A former fellow of the North Country Institute for Writers of Color and was shortlisted for the Small Acts Literary Competition. In 2018, Keisha was selected as a Brooklyn Public Library artist in residence. Her visual art has been featured in exhibitions in the tri-state area and in such literary journals as the Adirondack Review, Joint Literary Magazine, and No Dear Magazine. Keisha holds an MFA in creative writing from the City College CUNY. She lives in Brooklyn with her husband and two children. Learn more about Keisha at KeishaGay.inc. Thanks for listening. Hi, Keisha. How are you? I am well. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast for this Focused Friday edition. (laughs) All right. No, it's my pleasure. Can you hear me okay? I hear you just fine. Okay, great. And you sound wonderful as well. So I want to congratulate you on your um, latest book, A Spell for Living. Is is that correct? Yeah, thank you so much. Yep, that's it. <laughs> I I love the uh, merging of your beautiful visual art uh, with the poetry. It makes it a visual as well as a cerebral experience uh, <laughs> for the reader. <laughs> yes, I believe in all kinds of storytelling. So I'm like, let's give it all we got. <laughs> Put everything out there. Wonderful. And so can you tell me, uh, can we walk backwards to your beginnings as a poet and writer, um, how you started and some of what has been inspiring you over the years? And then we'll come back forward to your your books. Okay, sure. So I think um, poetry and writing has always been been my first mode of self-expression you know even from childhood and I didn't call myself a poet um, really until college you know and I started I went to Syracuse I started you know doing some readings here or there and and um, I was really nervous about being on stage and um, but I you know I got a warm reception I got warmed up and I got used to it and um, I remember being 
you know, in my, I would say I just graduated from college and I went over to the New Yorican one night, you know, for open mic. And I waited until about 2 a.m. To, to get on the stage. It was the first time I ever really um, read on stage there. And they, um, it was just such a great experience, warm reception. And I, I just started, you know, doing that more. And I became a part of this awesome community and more importantly, a literary tradition that has nurtured me and has just helped me to grow as a person, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's wonderful. And I can really kind of picture your journey, um, much like uh, the journey of many poets uh, who it's like you already have that natural talent, but you're Mm -hmm. also open to, you know, mentorship and learning the craft and and all of that. Oh, yeah, you got to be because I I'm very um, (laughs) my friends, the friends of mine tease me. I'm very practical you know, for an artist, because, and, and I think that's probably how I am as a parent. But if, if I were learning to carve uh, furniture, I would have to learn from somebody. I mean, I might have, but I have to learn how it works, right? And um, I'm not bound by structure or form, but I have to have a proficiency in, in like the rules of the tradition that I'm operating in. And then I can abstract it. And, and my visual art is abstract. So I, I do believe in respecting the tradition and uh, learning from people and then experimenting. Wow, that's wonderful. And so um, how has it been for you? I know that you're, uh, I met you in Brooklyn at one of the events. And so what, tell me, what do you love about the Brooklyn poetry and art scene? How has being in that environment fed you as an artist? Oh, wow. I mean, it's so many changes. And now here we are in this uh, quarantine, which is just really, (laughs) it really sucks. But, um, you know, I, (laughs) I was born in Jamaica and I grew up in Southeast Queens, right? Very suburban, sort of bedroom Mm -hmm. community. Um, There's no, there are no, um, you know, public social spaces in, in those kind of neighborhoods, except the supermarket. Right. So I, after I came back from college, I was like, I need to live in a place where I can be near cultural institutions and meet other artists and socialize and be in the public space and, and talk to people. And so I, you know, I moved to Brooklyn. I actually, I should back up. I was born in Jamaica. My family, when they first came here, they did live in Brooklyn. I, I lived in Brooklyn and then, you know, um, they moved out to Queens. So I spent like my adolescence and teen years in Queens. But then I came back and it was just a great mixture of people. You know, I would say in the late 90s and the 2000s, you know, um, just a great vibe of, of you just felt like we were creating new um new things that would be around for a long time. And you could see, just look at Erica Badu's career trajectory. I mean, she was operating in and around here in that time frame yeah. as well. So there were a lot of people, lots and lots of people I know. And some people have gone to Broadway. Some people are in film. Some people are still doing the um, live poetry events or they're writing books, what have you. And I wanted to be a part of that and uh, have many uh, deep friendships you know, that have resulted from just being present <laughs> when everything's going on, you know, just being in the place. 
Wow. That, that sounds wonderful. And Keisha, you and I have something in common. So I was born in Brooklyn. However, right after I was born, we moved to Queens, uh, specifically Jamaica, Queens. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> um, so I partly grew up in Queens and then the rest of my, my upbringing was in the Midwest. But mm-hmm. that Queens connection is strong in terms of, um, you know, with artists yep. um, in addition to, to Brooklyn. Yes, yes, for sure. And really interesting. My sister was born on the same uh day as the rapper fabulous okay in brooklyn okay and i always tease her about that like okay you you and this rapper were born on the same day y'all was probably in the same room (laughs) right (laughs) so we always joke about you know just the connection is the six the six degrees of separation right um you know, with New York folks is really interesting. And it's just, it's just interesting to look at lineage too. Like where, if you look at it over time, like where people are coming from and like, in some cases, their parents cross paths, you know, some of these artists just like, it's just interesting to see the connections because there's just something that is being passed on there. Um, Yeah. Let me, if you listen to hip hop and what's sampled, it's just like, what were the parents listening to? You know, how, how is this information being passed on? And then people are using that to innovate. That's so interesting to me. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So true. And so Keisha, then going back to your performance work, how have you, um, because I, I know, as you mentioned, like some of your peers and my peers as well, um, went off into, you know, went from performance to then, you know, they were doing Broadway or doing movies mm-hmm. or like we know about um, uh, Sarah Jones, who did a lot of the Broadway plays. And and then you have all the poets that went to deaf poetry mm-hmm. and you have Lemon Anderson and uh, moms who went to, you know, film and things like that, Saul Williams. Um, and so how did you know that you would uh, continue to be in the literary tradition as opposed to just primary performance oh, uh, based. I knew that early on because I was, you know, some a little bit in the slam circuit early on, and I knew immediately that it was not for me. It's not my personality. I, I'm an artist mm-hmm. in the very traditional sense of what you think of in terms yeah. of number one. Sometimes I am very social, but people would be surprised how much I prefer to be solitary and just work, work right. with my art. I, but I can tell that about yeah. you. You have that, you have a look on your face <laughs> and there's an energy about you that's like serious, but also like, you know, I need my serene, yeah. <laughs> peaceful, quiet time to sit and write because you know what? You can't really get it done if you're always out in the mm-hmm. street and you're always on stage. How the heck are you writing? Right. And and that's the thing. It's like <laughs> I if if anything, you know, I don't I don't have any problem at all being on stage. I'm I've no fears around that. Mm-hmm. That's easy for me but to do, but it's more about I have always been about the spiritual connection. That's kind of like what drives me, like the energy I get, the what transforms in that room between me and the audience like what is the energy flow that is Mm -hmm. what I study that informs my visual art too that's just like what I'm interested in and so I can enjoy the competitive nature of slam and the you know performance I that's an art unto itself but it was not you know and don't get me wrong when I give a reading it's not boring but it's just not what I wanted to do right right 
So no, I know what you mean. Some people literally made a career out right, of it. Right. Right. You know, and some went far into things and then some you don't know where, you know, whatever happens. So I totally get where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, you know, my thing was always, and I tell people this, is to just be at peace with whatever process you're in and honor like what you're learning in the process. So I'm not going to compare myself to anybody or say, I wish I would have done this. So that I mean, maybe, you know, there, thing, there are ways I could have gone, but I'm going where I'm supposed to go. And um, I'm satisfied with that because also I'm a parent. You don't get a do-over with that. And that is my primary uh, role on this earth, like the art and the parenting. That's, that's what I do. Totally. And when my kids came, obviously, I felt very blessed. And I love being a parent and enjoying those moments with them. So I said, okay, I have to provide. So, I, you know, I've always kept a full-time job. I have to do my art, so I make space for that, and I have to be with them. And so all these things got to happen at the same time, which means that perhaps the books are going to move more slowly. And that's okay with me, because they're mm-hmm. going to grow up. I mean, it's it's moved. My son is 16 already. It's moving. Oh, yeah. wow. I mean, it's yeah. just going so fast. And, and my daughter's wow. going to be 13 in, a, in a two months. And so... Oh my gosh, but they're still young. That's the good. It's it, they're still yeah. young. They still right. need you. But you know, you what know I, mean? I yeah. you know, I didn't have them terribly young, but I didn't have them old. So I mean, when they're grown up, I still have time for me. There will still be time, you know, um, mm-hmm. to to do what I want to do. I'm not worried about that. I'm was more concerned about building a foundation for my family, especially growing up in a you know wor- working class family where there are a lot of like financial struggles happy family but you know it's just struggles i mm-hmm. i'm very yeah. um i was very affected by that and i'm probably overly cautious because of that but i just want to be comfortable i want to know where my money's coming from <laughs> i want to be in my home i right. want the comfort i want everybody to be comfortable and then i can relax cuz if i'm insecure i can't relax you know yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And you know what? Women are so um, keen with those things. We we are always first trying to make sure that everyone else is good. And, and I can totally, you know, understand that, you know, you have to lay your foundation and do mm-hmm. your nesting and make sure your nest is yep. good. So I can totally, you know, understand. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, part, go ahead. So, go and, ahead. mm-hmm. I was just going to say, so that's even more amazing that you've been able to continue to focus on your art um, and that it's been steady, it, you know, it seems for the most oh, yeah. part, at I least. I make goals. Um, so, and I tell people this every year. No, it would be like every year apply to a fellowship uh, three times a year, get published in a literary journal. And that formula has worked for me or, you know, and it's like, okay, uh, once every other month, do a reading, go to an event. And um, that's how I pace my schedule out. And it works. Um, it has worked for me. And, uh, you know, hopefully as things evolve, I'll have more time, you know, to go more deeply. Because the older I get, I want to really delve more deeply into my art. Because we all want to see what we're capable of doing. You know, we want to we see fully. Yes. But, you know, I'm also... You see, the thing is, I've, the careers that I've chosen also nurture me because I'm in communications. I was a journalist. 
Uh, you know. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, I remember you. We. T- I, t- I think we've discussed mm-hmm. that. That's right. You've yeah, done I've a lot. Television. I still um, have an interest mm-hmm. in those things. I've worked on films. Um, I've written for television. I've been a field producer. I've written for a bunch of consumer magazines. You know, journalistic writer. And then for the past mm-hmm. decade, well, more than a decade, I've been running communications and marketing in like the higher ed and nonprofit space. So I'm yeah, I'm learning there too. I'm also learning how to market myself as an artist. It's not, you know, it helps mm. me to think about um, what I can do when I'm ready because I, I don't have a, a team per se. I do now. I have a few in- great interns who I hired who, who are really talented, but I didn't before. I was like doing everything by myself, you know. Yeah. And um, so is that something that is on your wish list for 2021? You know, when people talk about goals, <laughs> resolutions, vision board, get oh, an assistant. Oh, yeah. No, I have um, <laughs> two young ladies I work with who do, who uh, maintain my social media and do design and animation for me. And that's, that's good. Um, they're great. And um, yeah, I mean, my, my thing now that I'm looking toward is just, I'm always looking at um, opportunities that will teach me something and expand my mind. Like, so Mm -hmm. I've never, you know, my path Mm -hmm. hasn't really been driven by titles. I don't really care about, you know, I've always been in leadership roles, interestingly, like, and I think it's just my personality. I'm very reliable. I'm organized and I'm a, I'm a good leader, but I've been driven by Mm -hmm. what can I learn at this place? Like, what can it teach me? Where will it take me in the world? You know, I loved working when I was at CBS News. I used to travel a lot all over the country to shoot these, Mm -hmm. these documentaries. And um, I would never have otherwise gone to these places or or met these celebrities. You know, I I recall interviewing um, the late John Lewis in his office. And I I would never, like, when would I have had an occasion to have a, a, just a, human conversation with him and that's how accessible he was he would just you know exactly. I, I knew that I come from um you know middle class status and and there these different um circles that I would not have access to so I wanted to learn and what it taught me honestly one of the biggest takeaways of all of these travels I've interviewed Greg Louganis, Burt Reynolds I've been to I've met Jerry Seinfeld I've met all these wonderful people And the biggest takeaway is that Mm. they are absolutely no different than you or me. So therefore, Mm -hmm. there's no reason for us to doubt our creative potential. The only thing we don't have most of the time uh, is access. That's what we don't have. We don't have access, Mm -hmm. but we can learn how to maneuver and, you know, maybe you'll get some access. But if you, know, if you have no clue of how any of these things work, you won't even know where to begin. So that was, yeah, that was very useful for me um, to learn about different people. And I wouldn't have been in Burt Reynolds' home like for any reason. You know what I went to? Oh, wow. It's just very, you know, he, he, um, he passed away not too long. Well, no, maybe it was long after that. Maybe yeah. Probably a decade after that. But he was already out of the public mm-hmm. eye, you know? It's true. Yeah. He had been for a yeah. while. I remember so that. Mm-hmm. that, um, that was awesome. And I loved that. And I loved writing 
you know, I wrote for Honey Magazine when all the Black women magazines were a thing. <laughs> oh, I love Honey. Oh, my gosh. I yeah. used to save all the copies. Like, you know, they had all the hot artists uh, on the cover. You know, I remember I saved the one with mm-hmm. Ananda Lewis. I saved the one with, um, boy, you know, a lot of singers and actresses. Oh, really yeah. great interviews. You, you know, I'll tell you right now, weird connection. This is how life works. And this is how you know you're following your spirit, right? I uh, wrote an article for Honey mm-hmm. about Black women and depression. And yeah. Um, oh, wow. And then a few, um, a few weeks later, the editor... I believe my editor was Deneen Milner at that time. And Deneen... Yeah. Oh, probably so. I remember Amy Dubois Barnett was editor in chief. Yes, and I worked there closely well. with her. But yeah, she sent me a letter to the editor where a young woman wrote to the magazine and said, "I was thinking of um, attempting suicide again, and I read your article, and I went and and called one of the therapists in the um, resources that we provided instead, and I kept that letter and I kept it in a scrapbook." Because today, so many years later, the work I do, my nine to five work is a suicide prevention organization. So, wow. you know, you gotta, mm. you're led. I believe this. I believe, you know, I was just watching um, a video with the late Cicely Tyson, rest her soul. And she, mm. yes. yes, and she was talking soul, about yes. being divinely guided, like very specifically about listening to her intuition. And that has been a big thing for me, a big, big thing. So it's funny how mm. things connect over time. And then you look back, I look back at poems that I've written and I'm like, wow, this concept is not something I would really fully understand until years later, <laughs> you know? Excuse me. I'm That's so, okay. I just sneezed. And I, and thank you, Keisha. I do want to mention to you in a few of your, um, responses it drops for a second and then comes back i don't know if you oh, can let me, shift um, where you are or yeah, shift your me, phone well i'm sitting by the window so i hope this is good okay. i don't know i hope this is good yeah mm-hmm. okay yeah thank you um wow your your experience and your all these wonderful people you interviewed and all these wonderful journalistic experiences you had, how did that uh, also merge into your creative oh, writing? that was, um, you know, when, I, and I think this is one of the reasons I love Lucille Clifton is because she really used every part of her life in her poetry, like every part of everyday life. Mm. And my feeling was that when you get out and you travel and you meet the people of the country and you have these experiences with like lots of different people, you get insights. Um, And I would like, after I'm done with the shoot or whatever, I may go back to the hotel and I just, that was my way of decompressing actually. And just like, that's what I did for leisure. I was like, you know, here's my observations, you know? And then I started Mm. to really, um, take it seriously I think uh you know I um I shifted Uh from journalism for a very simple reason it was a gig economy kind of job before the gig economy before gigs were a thing right so it was right it was project right and when you're 20 something and you just have yourself to be responsible for 
that's okay. But then I became a parent at 30. And I was like, uh-huh. I had no health insurance. <laughs> it was very practical reason. I went into academia. I was like, oh, I was like, oh, yeah. no, we're not about to do this. We, <laughs> we had to come back to TV later right. date. But I had to take my skills and go elsewhere. So, you know, I got into like communications and higher ed and speech writing, all that stuff, which I enjoyed. It was fine. Um, but then when I got into academia, I was like, you know what? I need to focus on my writing. I need to get my MFA. I need to like put myself in a program so I have a structure and I can build a community and meet people. Mm -hmm. And that's just exactly what I did. Um, Although my MFA is in fiction, which people don't know. (laughs) It's not poetry. Oh, wow. Okay. And that's so funny because I was, that's one of the questions that I was going to ask you if you also write fiction, because I can see you doing that based Mm -hmm. on reading I have published, uh, I think two years ago, a short story of mine was published in Quelly. I think two, well, now, you know, it was 2018, I'm pretty sure, but we're only in the beginning of 2021. And then um, I have a short story in the Momag Review and I have a, a short fiction elsewhere, but you know, if any goal I have this year is to really like complete this longer work of fiction um, that I've been sitting on. And it's harder for me, I have to say, because there's a level of anonymity that I can um, preserve uh-huh. in poetry just because of the abstraction. Right. Which in fiction, I, I feel a little more exposed yeah. as I'm exploring these characters. And, and then also, you know, I think I'm more adept at at um presenting the emotional reality of a moment through the metaphors and poems through similes right but then in dialogue dialogue is yeah it is a bit challenging for me you know because like you like I like you observed I am a bit solitary so I'm in my head a lot and I'm not necessarily listening to how people talk because I'm picking up on how they feel I'm more paying attention to the vibe the vibe that I get takes me on a little thought experiment and I, and I think about things but Mm -hmm. I'm not really you know I'm not so into the mundane like playwriting is would be really hard for me because it's a lot of talking it's just like talking wow (laughs) it's true yeah (laughs) yeah it's true and so in terms of um, collaborations you know I know that you're around a lot of great artists even, you know, when you're doing events and obviously you're networking and in terms of being published, uh, what kind of collaborations do you enjoy and that really feeds you in terms of work with other artists or um, performance or even when you're um, uh, thinking about mm. publishing? And I love of the merging of the art forms because I like surround sound experiences. I like engaging all of the senses. So I definitely love, love, love on a deep level music and any opportunity to work with a musician, I jump at it because, and and actually the poems, some of the poems in this book have been set to music. A friend composed music for them and they're linked in the the ebook and SoundCloud. So anybody can go listen. But um, I love music. I love music. And it's no surprise my daughter is like a natural musician. She sings, she plays guitar, like she's um she's really musical and um I also like to collaborate you know like with other visual artists I like to 
I had a residency at the Brooklyn Public Library in 2018. I, I won their artist in residence um, contest. I, somebody sent it to me. It was like, you should, I applied on a whim. I've never gotten anything like that before. And I was like, oh, I'm the artist. Okay. So I had studio time. <laughs> okay. Artists. And, and, and say that again. Was that yeah, Brooklyn? Brooklyn, you said Public, the Brooklyn Library? Brooklyn Public Library had the... an artist in residence program. Wonderful. In and my art is still hanging um, in that space. And they give you, it's like six weeks uh-huh. and you have to come in once a week. You have open studio. You're supposed to like give a community presentation at the end of it. And they give you like a laptop. It was wonderful. And, um, you know, working at a college at the time, the the summer Fridays kind of fit right in. So I was already I was already off on Friday. Mm -hmm. So that's how I worked it. That's what I mean about working with what you got. I very much had a city University of New York administrative job, union job. (laughs) Like, right. Oh, yes. good. And, right. The stability. You know, with that, yes. I was able mm-hmm. to buy a townhouse in Brooklyn in my 30s. And I am proud of that. Like my husband and I didn't do it mm-hmm. by myself. We we bought a house. Good. Very nice. I was wondering when you were <laughs> going to mention that gentleman. I'm like, Keisha sounds like she's <laughs> oh, no, doing definitely all of this not. on her own. I'm like, oh. Oh, oh yeah. That, no, he's, you got a he's very, very supportive. <laughs> um, And we're definitely a team. And a lot of the pictures I post whenever we're doing stuff in the arts, it's, he's always there and the kids are always there. Like, so it's like, it's like, that's how the family time is spent, which is, which, and he's also an artist Mm -hmm. that, um, at my book launch, he's a teacher, but he's also a visual artist. And at my book launch in December, I displayed some of his artwork as well. So we've, Wow. So you all both yeah, no, really support each other. That has to be. This is great. You're similar to, just wanted to mention one of my recent um, interviews. Uh, you probably know the, the writer Jabari so. Asim. He lives, he lives in a household with mm-hmm. artists. His wife is a playwright and she previously was a children's librarian. And he just talked to me about how they often, you know, support and collab with one another. And it sounds like you have a similar, you know, nice. Oh uh, yeah, because it's 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 really hard. Like raising children in New York City, it's expensive. It's hard. We work hard. We both work. You know, it's funny. Uh, we met. I was in television. He was in the music industry, and then we both transitioned to higher to education at the like at the same time, which is kind of oh, ironic. Yeah. I went, you know. More and that's how you know he's a good guy. He wasn't just trying oh, to keep no, doing no. the little gigs here and there. He was gonna get right. his stability that, for so his you gotta family. Have the same um, values, really. I mean, it's really important. Uh, so yeah, he's a high school teacher, and and then I was working at the university, and he's also now teaching college. So like we were in that ecosystem of education, mm-hmm. and I only started. Uh, doing this nonprofit work last year. So that was a little shift for me after like a very okay. long time in higher ed. Do you find that that also, I've heard people say higher ed mm-hmm. is good. Well, education in general is good for writers because you have your breaks. Do you feel the same? It depends what it is. Work? And I think what I did is I, you know, it depends what it is. I, I got myself to, I think I was at CUNY for like 15 or 16 years at different, at three, like at different places, different schools. 
And, um, but by the time I left there, I was at a very, like a senior leadership level, right? So now the way things are for me is I kind of have the freedom to kind of dictate my schedule a little bit more than if I were coming in at a different level. So my thing in life is it's always like, I, I have to dictate my schedule. So I will agree to do whatever work I'm doing, but I need my autonomy and I need my boundaries. And I feel that I'm at a level as a senior manager where I can enforce yeah. that, where maybe somebody else maybe doesn't feel like they can, but I certainly can. And so I do enforce boundaries. Yeah. That's like a deal breaker for me. And that's, I always tell it to everyone, I am an artist. I speak, I read at places. I'm, you know, I give talks and, and I need time with my family. So if that don't work for you, it's not going to work for me. So we got to like, have to, Wow. You mean you tell them? I did. I that, told like in an the interview place. or a first meeting? No, or I told them. I, oh I, I asked them a question. I'm like, <laughs> you are, you are aware uh-huh. of who I am publicly. Cause you, cause you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I'm not funny, but I, because I've you know what said, it is. Wow, it's like, I've, no, but oh the thing God, is, the, I've the, never the, thought the, to do my, that. <laughs> I, I've always worked in jobs that were adjacent in some way to like what I'm doing as an artist. So higher education is full of artists, you know, television. Yeah. TV production true. is full it's of creatives. So nothing I was doing was weird or like it's not like I'm right. It's not like I'm a, a, a For an accountant okay. and there and I'm a poet on the side. People wouldn't understand that. But people do understand like, you know, you're <laughs> you're a hyphenate. It's like she's a TV producer. She's an author. She's a, all these things. Yeah, these things go together. And so I do mom. respectfully yeah. when I work with people, I tell them who I am mm-hmm. because who I am is non-negotiable and who I am is public. So anything I say publicly, I would say on the job. So you have to be okay with me as a whole person to come into your space. And if you're not comfortable with that, I am not for you because I am not willing to cut my locks. I am not willing to change anything about myself for a check. I'm just Mm. not. And I know, I know I could, I know I am. Wow. I know that I have the bona fides and the honest, like honest, solid credentials of uh, quantifiable work that I've done that that can get me what I want. So I'm not worried about that. I'm not going to compromise who I am ever. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, Keisha. And what you're talking about, you know, we've been talking about your writing and your journey as a poet and an artist, but now you're getting into this space of you're talking about self-worth That's and right. self-love you and have knowing to. your value. You have to. I, I, you know, you have to just be honest with what you're willing to negotiate about like you can always negotiate you can always ask you know um you know are you how people feel their comfort level like you know you can always ask and I and I did ask because I feel like a person of my age range which is in the 45 to 50 range I don't have time to waste to mm-hmm. figure out if you're going to be upset about something. You know, sure. like, I don't have time for that. So just tell me now, if you don't like it, it's not going to work. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not going to work. And so, but what I find interesting and amazing about what you're saying, I understand that first part, mm-hmm. but the fact that you, what you're inferring is that you have faith that if you walk away from that particular opportunity or whatever it may be, 
that you're actually still going to get oh. what you want. Or oh, what you yes. A hundred percent. Do you feel that? There's got to be one job for, I always tell people, there is one job. New York City, where I live, there's eight million people here. There is one job for you. It may not be, there is something you could do. And it, <laughs> and when I look at my, the way that I've um put my career together. I have excellent relationships with people. I don't burn any bridges and I add value wherever I go. I, I, I do my best. You can guarantee I'm going to do the best job and maybe a little extra. And then, we, you know, so I have this stuff that I've done and anybody can verify it and, mm. you know, and, and anybody can look at it. And if, if they find that, you know, I can add value, then, we can work together because we we have to. We can't operate out of a place of fear. And I'm not being like super woo-woo. Like I am yeah. very spiritual, yes. And I am guided by my intuition, yes. Yeah. But I'm also extremely practical. And I understand, you know, you have to, you negotiate with people. There's no harm in asking politely for what you want. There's no harm in that. All they can do is say no. I've had in, in my early career, some very uncomfortable interviews and and there's a power dynamic there as being a very young person in the workforce you know sometimes people abuse their power over you and say things you know but I look at that and I put it in my my little notebook in my mind of what not to say when you're supervising or you know mentoring people what to what not to do don't do that because that scarred Mm. me or that really I, I, you know, I had an interviewer um, tell me once, um, you know, before the interview even got started, I was very young. I was in my early 20s and it was in um, broadcast. He said, well, you probably, you know, you go for, I show up for the interview, but you probably want to do black stories and that's not our audience. And I'm like, that's the first thing you say to me. Right. And so as a young no. Whoa, like they didn't even ask. Yeah, and it was they like, just, a, like you know, it, it was very uncomfortable to be dismissed. But, you know, technically, I guess somebody felt that I should be interviewed. And whoever was interviewing me probably got his schedule that day and was like, who the hell is Keisha? You know, let me just tell her it's not going to work. Right. But you know what? I, I had another interview at a, these are all media outlets, right? I had an interview at a, a paper and, and, and they mm-hmm. straight up told me, well, you've at the time in my career, I was like, I don't know, 26 or 27. They said, you've only written for black publications. We're not sure you really know how to write. That was told to my face. We're not sure you know how to write. And right. It happened so often. It. That's disgusting. It happens, so I, I took note of it. And oh my I was gosh. like, because my, <laughs> my, um, my, well, what ended up happening? Oh, you see, with so that? my nature is not, you'll never get a rise out of me. That's just not how I am. You're not going to get a rise out of me, oh, but I'm going to quietly yeah. remember that. And I'm going to keep that. And I'm going to remember it. And I'm not going to refer people to your place. And I'm going to tell them, yes, I will. And, and at you'll some probably point, write about at it. Some point, <laughs> Because you know what, Keisha, that's what I do in some some way, shape, or form. Don't don't show up exactly. In my writing, please. <laughs> exactly. And the thing is, too, it's like it, it's almost funny. It's like people think they're decimating your ego, and to me, as a person with wisdom, I'm I'm laughing at them. I'm actually feeling pity because I'm looking at them, and I'm like, you're such an angry 
bitter and stuck person that you would take the time to come out of your face yeah. like that to a young person you know how how like frustrated do right. you have to be to even to even do exactly limited. and 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 limited yeah. very limited right and I said okay I would be happy here so I kept you keep pushing that's the thing I want to tell young people it's like you must continue to try. Like these things are discouraging, but you must, that you look at it from a different angle. You say, well, where haven't I tapped? What else could I do? Where, who can I talk to? And then you just always be respectful mm. and you always bring something to the table. Don't just be asking people for stuff. You got to bring some ideas. Bring, don't give like away that. your ideas. Yeah. Don't give them away for free. Yeah. But, you know, Offer me something that we can have a conversation about. And I even tell my, like the young people I work with, um, you know, who are helping me now, I'm like, okay, you're doing this work for, w- with me and it's awesome. But think about the, how the things that I want you to create, how, what do you want for your portfolio? And let's see in the middle what we can create because I'm here to also help you build your portfolio. That's what mentorship is about. It's not just me taking, you know, it, this is good karma. Sure. We can't operate, you know, these bad things come back to people. People don't believe that. It absolutely, you may not understand how it comes back to you, but when you are foul, it comes back to you. It, it really, I, I'm sure that it does. And I, I've talked to a person, I, I know someone who feels like, and we've had conversations over and over and they always say to me, people, there's no such thing as karma. It doesn't exist because there are people that they never see it. And how is it there are people that do crimes and this and that, and, and some of them get away with it. I'm like, yeah, you might not see it, right. but maybe you karma is it's it. not your business to see the person that, you know, did you wrong, That's right. get their just desserts or whatever. That's and sometimes, sometimes God and, and them. <laughs> their punishment is their own mental torment. Their punishment is that they can never be happy or satisfied with what they have because they're so envious of other people. And that's their punishment is that they can never be self-aware enough to see what is tormenting them and they, they can't see it. And that's not my business. You know, I'm here to spread love to uh, all, all leave something of value in the world. And mm. my primary role on this earth is to be the primary teacher of my children so that they could do whatever they want. And I can set up a, you know, an environment where they can just be themselves. That's all I want. You know, that's all. I, I don't want very many things. I want to be able to do my art, you know, enjoy the earth, travel some places and see my kids flourish and really don't mm-hmm. want anything else, you know. And and it's it's not That's it's simple right. and it's just not asking for much, you know. I think you and I you engage with me, you and and several others uh on my recent Facebook post. Uh-huh. I, I called it Friday Thoughts where I asked if you could ever mm. want too much in your life. Can you ever want too much? And how do you know if you do? And is it, are other people That's the judge of whether yeah, you're that, wanting that, too much? It's you such know? an interesting question. What do you think about me, that? Um, my understanding of how life works is that you can never want too much if what you want 
is to be the best expression of yourself that you can be. If what you want is for there to be like mm. peace and for people to flourish, for you know, for for for, for you know, um, unfair systems to be abolished, you can never want too much, you know. But I think that if what you want is only focused on your own gratification, then having too much of it can damage you. It can damage you. Eating too much can damage you. Um, but even also mm. being overly self-absorbed so that, you you know, there are people who have um, body dysmorphic, you know, like disorders of, of they, they keep having surgeries or, you know, these, this is, this is when we're focused too much. We're focused too much on sure. ourselves. You can never want too much mm. if what you want is to root for everybody else that they also make it because the, the universe reward the universe rewards that I believe that sure that you know and I think back to Bob Marley you know and he said um if my life is just for me I don't want it it's a famous quote of his and and it reflected in his art you mm. see it multiplied like what he wanted was for everyone to be you know it's true and he was he was like Oh, you yes. know, an astral star on the earth. Oh, yes. You know, yes. just a walking sage. Um, just, I still, I love him and I still listen to his music. I, you, let mm -hmm. me tell you something. I'll tell you because you can relate, mm -hmm. Keisha, because you're from uh, Jamaica. I, his music, oh, along with yeah. some others, I got me it. through writing my dissertation, No Lie. I used to stay up listening late at night. We're talking, pulling all nighters for a day or two. And I'm listening to Bob Marley and I'm listening to Coltrane and I'm listening to Brazilian lounge and the most spiritual music, mm -hmm. the most music that spoke to me. And that's what kept oh, me from yes, probably yes. being I'm out of my there, mind with there's stress. Some, there's so many layers. That's why I love music because not only is the instrumentation a certain frequency that your body, your rhythms in your body wants to get in sync with that. That's why we dance. You want to get in sync with the music. So there's a soothing mm -hmm. aspect to that. And every, even dogs and cats like music. Like there's a soothing aspect to it because it's just rhythm, right? They like it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but there's also now the poetry of it. He was a master poet because what he said was plain and really simple, but really profound mm -hmm. analysis of human nature. Profound. You know, True. it's like, this is mm -hmm. so many things. I, one of my favorite Bob songs is um, Babylon System, you know, and, and, and the song, I think that's the right title of the song. But mm -hmm. I think, yeah, this is we refuse to be what you wanted us to be. We are what we are. And that's the way it's going to be. And such a that's such an important statement about black struggle. It's like all of these years of indoctrination and colonization. It's like we are who we are and nobody's been able to change that. And the continuity mm -hmm. of culture is incredible to me. Like our, mu our music and mm. spirituality, nobody can erase that. So it, to me, it's like why, who, who is a fool enough to even think they can like fundamentally alter people the way that these people show up on earth you know like a fool, a fool. that's right people who, that's right people it's who like, don't know god that's yeah, what i believe yeah we we, we all because, here and yes. we show up however we show up 
for a reason that is, you know, it is mysterious to us, but we know that we're intact. We're intact. Then nobody needs to change us. We're here to, you know, refine and uh, refine our skills and, and to see what we can do. That's what I think. I think we're here to see like, what can I really do? And you see it with like gymnasts and athletes. They are the best representation in physicality of like, I'm going to see what this body can do. Yeah, but writers and artists do it too. They're like, so true. Let me see what I could do. Mm. And, you know, because it's so cerebral Mm -hmm. sometimes, uh, I think it's easier for us to get imbalanced because it's, we're in our heads. So we need to, we need to go outside for a walk. We need to make sure we talk to our family. (laughs) You can't just be in your head all the time. Right. You have to be balanced. I, I tell people, you know, I'm a big, big walker outdoors. I mean, I do other activities, but I love walking outdoors. And I tell people who have not been going outdoors, especially during this quarantine, and I'm talking in nature, I don't mean to the grocery store, that we are living organisms. So how can you not go and connect with the Mm -hmm. rest of the, you know, botanics and and other live organisms? We need that. We need it like a, you know, putting a last Saturday he was like let's go to the botanic garden it was 27 degrees outside but we went and we 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 paid we went in and all four of us and we walked it. around and and we had and the sun was out and we saw the little koi fish they're still out there I'm like I thought the fish had to come inside but I guess wow. they stay out there <laughs> and you know wow and so they it's were open. allowing you it's to open. go there. Yeah. Like, is yeah. it not? Yeah. I mean, right very now, few people were walking open? around yeah. there, but it's open. You can take a walk in there, and and um, you know, amazingly mm. too, you see when you walk in nature, you notice some things, and some of the plants, the buds are already visible, even in this cold, cold weather. It's it's getting ready for the spring. It's getting ready, and then it's going to be, you know, it's going to be so nice starting sure in like late March. And it's just going to be bursting by April, May. And I get a lot out of that. I get recharged um, by nature. Definitely. Mm-hmm. That's good to hear because I don't hear a lot of people say that these days. And it's like, I really feel like oh, it's yeah. the answer to like physical ailments mm-hmm. and possibly if you're not feeling too good mentally, it's like, okay, when was the last time you went to the park or just went kind of sightseeing or even for a nice drive where you don't have yes, a destination. Yes, yes. But you, you're just going to go look I mean, around. Even if it's cold, you know? just bundle up <laughs> and take a walk because your your attention <laughs> will be drawn to things uh, around you. And that is going to give you a clue to how mm-hmm. you're feeling inside. Because you always say, your, your brain is incredible. It's recording everything, right? That's happening around you, right? But you may not be aware yeah. or, or focus on what your your mind is recording right but when you when you meditate and you look into your thoughts you will realize you have perfect recall you can recall what was happening so as we walk outside and stuff you know you pay attention to what you're drawn to cuz that's a clue to how you're feeling are you always seeing garbage are you always seeing birds you know what what is it that you're drawn to when i was pregnant for some reason, I feel like I only saw other pregnant women. I, that's what it just, but it's what I noticed. They were always wow. there. It's what I noticed. Right. 
I just yes. noticed it because that they was the condition there. that I was in. So you're, you're as a human, this mm. is what we naturally do. Whatever we're feeling inside, we look to connect it to what's outside, which is why if you have a negative perception or inside of you is always negative, you're always going to find something wrong out there. You're always going to find what's wrong. We're not going to see what is right. You know, so we have to work on that because if you have wow. a disposition toward pessimism, it's very hard. And that's why depression, you know, has, has to be taken seriously because uh, mm. people, some people cannot just snap out of it and they need like clinical help, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's so true. That is so, so much wisdom that you're sharing, Keisha. I mean, you are just, <laughs> wow, talk about being a griot, a true griot in the sense of the word, you know, wisdom, storytelling, the written word, the spoken word, you know, the well, art, the visual I'm, art, I'm doing all my of best it. You and encompass I, all of I it. I do hope, you know, that, I, you know, that stuff can really obviously bring in some material compensation, but that's not why I'm doing it. But, you know, we, we, we're going to work that out. Because, you know, that's the thing. Sometimes we're afraid to ask to get paid <laughs> for things, which I'm getting better at. Because, you know, you got, yeah, yeah. Speak it into existence. Yeah, we got to, you know, like you've an, done with exchange. so many other it's things. Like, I'm going to do this. So I think I should be compensated. And I've, I've gotten better at that. I've gotten better at that. <laughs> but how about, too, Keisha, when you look for, I love, and I was tweeting. Okay. Uh, I want you to know I'm listening to you, but I'm also tweeting some of these wise things that you're sharing in uh, letting people know this episode mm-hmm. will be released. And here are some of the things that you're sharing. And the fact that you said you have like a formula of, okay, I'm going to apply for so many fellowships, so many publishing, this, that. So what about when you oh, look yeah. for that? Yeah. Look for no, the I, ones I have, that have the prize you know, attached. I, I, I'm, still, I'm still, you know, you know? working that out. <laughs> I'm working it out, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're doing that. Okay. And I, and I know, you know, but I thought I'd mention too, because for mm-hmm. anyone listening, this could be very inspiring for them um, to hear you. Well, it will be inspiring to hear you and, you know, to hear some of these solutions mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in an artistic yeah. life. Yes. You know, I, our nation you know? should hopefully, you know, hopefully there'll be more investment in the arts. Uh, you know, one would hope. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. True. True. And so I have, mm-hmm. I have, Keisha, I have a of few course. more questions yeah. for you. If are, do you have time? Okay. So I would like to know if you have this in mm-hmm. mind. Okay. So this what is, is your uh, writing routine. This is, <laughs> I always tell people, you know, um, you have to make the time. This is such an oversimplification, but at different times in my life, the routine was different. So when I was in graduate school, my husband was also simultaneously, like our lives are very parallel. Like he was getting his master's. I was getting my master's. And um, I, we had a toddler and then like a newborn. So what we would do on the weekend is like, I would say, okay, on Sunday for five hours, I'm going to Starbucks to write and no one is allowed to call me. And then I would come home and we would switch places and then he would go. And, and yeah, we did. We did that for a long time. 
we did that. So then now, you know, we, you know, I the love kids that. are obviously they're teenagers. So whatever. But I, um, I tried to give myself the morning. I'm going to be honest in the pandemic. I have not been productive. I won't use the word productive. I'm going to say that I like everybody else in many places has been dealing with uh, anxiety and uncertainty and just like the monotony of just being in the house 24 seven. So I'm going to give myself some leeway and say like, I'm not writing right now because I'm just trying to get my head. I never thought I'd live through a plague. <laughs> Here we are. Right. Who thinks like you, know, you read about, plagues in history who thinks you're, you're going to live through a pandemic but here we are and I'm I'm grateful everyone's healthy so I'm just trying to like minimize stress and just you know be healthy and balanced but generally prior to this situation a good time for me um, was the mornings and I would do it in short bursts like I would take my daughter to school and then I would um, I would take her early and, and she liked that too because she you know when you get there early have breakfast and she would play with your friends mm-hmm. and then I would go from like um like I think it was like from 8 p.m to like 8 45 I would go to a coffee shop and that's all I did is I would write and then I would hop on the train and at the time I was working and the train ride was like 20 minutes to my job and I would get there and I would do like you know I'm, I'm doing like the 10 to 6 kind of time frame and that's what I would do every day every single day and that's how I wrote my books you know um for for fiction though I need more sustained blocks of time and I think that's probably a deterrent like why I haven't really gone very far because I need like much more uninterrupted time like a like a whole day to just you know focus on that but um you know, my daughter helped me come up with a schedule for this novel that was my thesis, my MFA thesis, that I should revisit because I've been really bad about that. But she calculated it for me, like based on the page number of like a, a novel, like the page count. And she was like, oh, when we do this calculation, it breaks down to five pages a week. And she looks at me. She's 12. She's like, you could do five pages a week. <laughs> And I was like, you know something, you're right. Oh, wow. Five pages a week. Like, if you can just commit, think about it. If you can write three to five pages every week, you will have something. It may not be fantastic, but you'll have something. And something is better than nothing. And if, you know, who's yeah. quitting their job? Like, I'm not doing that. Like, I don't even want to do that. I think I would be lonely. Like, I would be lonely. Like, well, I think, like... I think um really oh my gosh do you think you would just I love think to that write I would love though, the Keisha, space and freedom to have blocks of time to write but I think that no matter what I would probably either be running a business or something where I would be creating other things like films or or what have you because I do have that background in like film and television and I like I like making um, visual story like there are other kinds of um, content that I enjoy and and some of those things require a team and I do enjoy that a little bit you know when we're when we're making something together so like I don't know if I would be happy mm-hmm. simply being alone all the time and writing although I enjoy alone time but I do like 
other collaborations with people where we get to make something, you know, and then, and I like the idea that there's a finite time on it. Like we make something and then we're done with that. And then maybe I work with another group and we make something and we're done with that. And I think I like to work that way, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds like the best thing. Um, and I, I like that it sounds like you definitely have a formula that works for you. And I think that's what's most important. It's not what other people do or writing on a schedule. Oh, I think I did <laughs> NaNoWriMo once some years ago, but I don't, I don't like anyone putting me on a schedule for anything. I don't like having to check in like that with my creativity to do something. I know, it I just know. doesn't, that's, I think uh, like it doesn't work a, for me. If there's something in like a, um, see, I think of the year in like quarters or even just like a six month thing. And if you can like push and go real hard for like that little burst of time, you can then stop and then, you know, chill. But I like to work that way. It's like, okay, for 12 weeks, and this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to not go out and I'm going to do this. But then after that, I need a break. I, that can't be like my forever life. I need to like, do some leisure things. <laughs> I like to travel, you know, I like to travel and, you know, see the world. Wow. And, you know, I, I try to go somewhere every year. Oh, no, probably. Do you still That's the want thing to do right that, now. though, even with everything Normally, going on? I try to I... every summer give these kids uh, some experience, mm-hmm. some really nice experience, even if, whether it's local or we go you know, overseas or try to, within my budget, give them an experience you know um but right now I'm not gonna go anywhere because I just don't know it's too uncertain and um I have been successfully staying well so I don't want to risk it (laughs) I don't really I would love to just plan a summer vacation someplace like and since we're all working virtually it's so easy to just say okay I could just go to X place for however long, but um, I don't know. I don't know. I have to give it some thought. I tell you, but I think we do need, we need something because it's been rough. My, you know, when you think about it, my daughter's done the entire seventh grade in her bedroom. Like, you know, <laughs> you know what and it's real I mean that's what so many yeah. of our students are going through virtual it's really hard for them though college, because developmentally virtual learning this is unnatural you know? this is the time where they're supposed to be learning independence they're supposed to be making dumb mistakes they're supposed to be with their friends like this is the time of life for that and I feel that when we get out of this we're going to have a lot of developmentally emotionally stunted adults who didn't have the time, the, the opportunity to be like wild and crazy in their teen and college years. They just didn't because they're, they've been going to school in their house, you know, and they, they're not hanging out with people. They're not getting a chance to um, push their limits. That's what you do when you're a teenager. I know I did. I mean, I, I had a fantastic teenage experience of like mischief and fun and like everything that goes along with taking risks, but, you know, never really in real, real, real danger, but, you know, going to little parties here and there and like, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) one time I got into so much trouble, a friend's cousin had a car and I went and I drove it and I was like 16 and, and my dad found out and he's like, you're not supposed to be driving. (laughs) 
And I got into so much trouble, but I wanted to drive the car. And it was dangerous because we didn't know how to drive. You know, like, what? Were, why were we driving, driving around in this car? But, um, you know, that's when you do that stuff when you're a teenager, you know. But I, I, even though I got in trouble, I, it was worth it. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be defiant. I'm going to go out wow. and drive and get in this wow. car and, and play around. <laughs> Yes. Oh gosh. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so uh lastly before we uh do you want to read any You know what? Why do don't we do that? Why don't we make tomorrow's IG yeah, live? Let's save it, Keisha. And hopefully folks will tune in. Yes. Yes. <laughs> because we can see your face oh, and hear the inflection. Thank you. And, thank you so much. And let me add your beautiful face, not yeah, just your face. <laughs> yes. So I think that'll be great. It'll be like a real live reading. So I am definitely going to promo okay. that again today and tag some people. Mm-hmm. Um, so lastly, Keisha, how mm, do you know that's a good a um, is question because yeah, it's a lot of weeding out. Um, and and I think my work experience as an editor, like as an editor in chief of um, a magazine for a while, I, I'm, I'm really tough on myself about not including things that don't serve the collection. And I try to look, I try um, to look thematically and like, what am I saying? What's the through line? What, what is like the general idea? Um, you know, of this collection and what poems would most potently like uh, exemplify that idea and whichever ones, even if they're a little bit similar to another one, if they're not as strong, they, they got to go, you know, and that's um, so, so I'm not, when I'm writing, I'm, I'm almost never writing with a collection in mind. I am simply mm-hmm. documenting my observations and the documentation, the form. I, I like to write poems. So my do- it's like journaling. They always end up being poems because that's just what I enjoy in terms of language, right? So I, so these things that I'm documenting um, over time, sure. after mm-hmm. a period of time, I step back and I look at them and I see, is there a theme? Like, what am I talking about? And if there is, then maybe this is a collection, you know, maybe this is a, an idea that I'm trying to um, look at from different angles and, you know, and they, and, and all of these poems together would make that point um, stronger, you know, and I know people approach things differently, like, but generally because of my time constraints, I'm going to be honest, because of parenting and working, I am in the moment writing when I can. And so I'm just doing the best I can. And then I go back and look at them later and see if there's a collection. But I would like to be more intentional in the future in terms of um, a project. And, um, you know, now that I've done, I've written three books, I think I can start Mm -hmm. thinking that way a bit more. I, I wanted, I would love to do some persona poems that kind of explore the um, matriarchal line in my family. I have a lot of questions. There's so much mystery. Well, for me anyway, I think for a lot of black folks, it's just mm. like the the women are not documented like like who they were. Sure. It's not it's not recorded really. Right? It's not really recorded. Um mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Does that mean you would go uh, to Jamaica to do some to interviews and, and some gathering records of information? and all of that? But I think I think I'm going to I'm for, I'm going to use what I know and then I'm going to use my imagination. I'm going to use what I know and I'm going to use what I know about um, I'm I'm going to use what I know about the time period they were living in, and then I'm going to use oral tradition, oral things that were passed orally. And I'm going to then use my imagination from there because there's no way, you know, my great grandmother who did hold mm. me when I was a baby, I don't remember her, but she was born in 1898. And so prior to that, like, I don't know anything um, except a name. I don't, there's no mm. story that I have about the personality of my great, great grandmother. I just don't know. It's just not documented. It's not, nobody like it's not Mm -hmm. written anywhere you know I don't know so I would have to use my imagination you know yeah and who knows if that imagination is really intuition or a channeled message or who who the hell knows because you know maybe that that ancestor wants to say something I don't know till I start writing like what's going to show up I mean I'm just going to let it I'm just going to do it and see what happens you know Sure. And do well, you have my, other writers my in your father family? Or are you the is a very good writer uh, and he had always wanted to write a book and he told me now he's retired now and he told me he's writing his book. So I'm super excited if he does that, you know. <laughs> I would yeah, I, I hope he does it. He's he is a great storyteller. Wow, that's wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful storyteller, extremely funny. Um and he's always the uh-huh. guy at uh, people, the relatives' weddings in in our family, who they ask him to MC because he's really funny. So <laughs> he's the storyteller. And um, my sister actually uh, went to Cooper Union. She's a very talented visual artist, and um, she's not actively painting right now, but she's got that natural gift, um, and she's very good with like anatomy, like the, you know the human body. Like she does these great paintings. So. There's a, t- yeah, I don't, you see, that's the thing about it. It's like, where do these things come from? We don't mm. know. You know, we just, uh, there must have been some writers. There must have been, I don't know, you know, must have been. Yeah. So. Exactly. You know, <laughs> that, that ancestral yeah. connection, as you were saying, is. Uh, oh, yes. Is oh, deep. I, you know, they have sure. stories that's, that they want to tell. That's the challenge you know? of modern living is to get quiet enough on a regular basis so that you can hear the stories. Because, you know, you got to get up, you go to your job, mm-hmm. you, you're with your kids. Um, mm. It's hard. But, um, you know, this is uh, I'm also grateful for the path I've traveled professionally. And I wouldn't change anything, you know, but I have to just be really intentional about making quiet time, you know. Yeah. True. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, yes, so, that's so wise important. advice for, for me and all of us, truly. Mm-hmm. And so, Keisha, uh, where can we find your work and how can we best follow and support okay. you? Um, well, uh, my just to name note that is as usually we are what ending. I use on all my social media handles. So it's Keisha Gay Anderson. So my website is KeishaGay.inc, which is .inc. Um, 
my I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm on SoundCloud. So just search me up and follow. <laughs> and, you know, you'll find me. Yep. Wonderful. Well, I love it. And I certainly <laughs> did, Keisha, because I, I think it. I'm on all of your social media. Yes. <laughs> And so thank you for being in my network. Thank you. You're very inspiring. And, you know, I wish you the best with all your, yes, your thank writing you and your, so much. your creativity and, and your family so in 2021 and, and beyond. Connected and I'm wishing the same for you. Like, who knows, you know, but we got to be optimistic. We don't know what the future holds, right? <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> that is so true. Well, Keisha, mm-hmm. I look forward to talking with you again tomorrow, and I'll be in touch about that. Um, oh, you too. Case, thank you so you know, much. Have this a was wonderful great. day, and thank you again for this interview. Okay, bye-bye. And you were just listening to episode 18 of Nerdacity Podcast, featuring poet Keisha Gay Anderson. Follow the podcast and tweet me on Twitter at NerdocityPod1. You can also follow Nerdocity Podcast on Instagram at Nerdocity Podcast. Support future episodes of this podcast by giving a small donation. Visit anchor.fm slash Frazier slash support or send to paypal.me slash World. Visit my website at doawaworld.com. Thanks so much for listening. Take care.